Well, good morning and happy Mother's Day. I had a, a couple extra props than normal, so I had to set that up. Uh, so good to be with you today. My name is Matt Johnston. I'm one of the pastors here at Beachpoint, and I'm so glad that we could be together today. Has anyone already celebrated Mother's Day, maybe with breakfast in bed or waking up to flowers or cards or anything? Okay, yes. Awesome. Well, congratulations. I'm totally jealous that I don't get breakfast in bed, and maybe others are too. Um, but I think, uh, I think Mother's Day uh, is, is great, but some of us need a reminder of why we want to uh, celebrate uh, Mother's Day, and we need, we need that reminder or we need motivation. And I came across this, uh, this picture of a sign that might remind us of why celebrating mothers is so important. And I'll just leave that, uh, I'll leave that there for you. Regardless of what it is, we do want to take an opportunity to celebrate uh, the moms in our life, even maybe not our own moms. And whatever that, that form uh, might be, it might be like this, something very simple and direct, but it's very clear. You're my mom because I'm your kid. Heart. Yes, that is fantastic. Uh, whatever, whatever it might be, I would just say, please don't fall victim to this Mother's Day uh, marketing special. Fat control and carb control. Mother's Day. Yes. Lord help you. Lord help you. Well, today uh, on Mother's Day is an opportunity uh, to appreciate moms uh, for the gift that they are. Uh, God uses moms in incredible ways to bless us. And I grew up with a great mom, a a very supportive and, and loving and involved mom. Uh, I got a bonus gift, though. I had an opportunity to be very close uh, also to my grandmother. My grandma and I uh, were very close, and she uh, remained important to me, and we remained close all throughout her life. Uh, but that makes today a little bit of a, of a weird day for me. Uh, she passed away recently, and this is the first Mother's Day without her. And maybe today is a bit of a weird day for you. Maybe today is a hard day for whatever, for whatever reason. And if it is a weird day, if it's a hard day, I want to say uh, I'm glad that you're here. I'm glad that we could be together today. And whether, whether today is a fantastic day or today is uh, maybe, maybe more on that, on that challenging side, my hope today is that as a result of our time together, that we can, we can leave with comfort and we can leave with hope in the Lord, wherever we might find ourselves today. And in order to, to talk about that hope, uh, I want to introduce you here. Uh, to my friends. I don't know, maybe you guys can't see over there, but uh, these are my friends. There are six in here, and, right? Yes, there are six fish in here, and I've been casually uh, uh, enjoying them, uh, referring to them as Ross and Chandler and Joey and Monica and Rachel and Phoebe for you friend uh, fans out there. But you look at guys like this, you look at fish in a fishbowl, and maybe you wonder, Okay, I th- their life in there is not too bad, but do they ever think about life outside the bowl? They, they live in here, but do they ever think about what is outside the glass? What is beyond? And if we were to maybe show them pictures like this, would it cause their hearts to stir? Would it raise their sights to something more? Or would it be cruel and unusual punishment? <laughs> would, it be, would it be something that they would... Uh, that they would long for, to be excited about. 
And how much do you want to bet these guys are singing Born to be Wild right now, just swimming, <laughs> swimming around, especially in comparison to our, friends, uh, to our friends here? We have an opportunity uh, today to hear about uh, what is beyond for us, what is outside our bowl today. The thing is, is that when we think about this, when we think about what is beyond for us, we realize that we were made for something more. Much like these fish were made uh, for more than, fish were made for more than this. They're in the bowl right now. They're here right now. But they were made for something more. And we were made for something more. We were made for a greater reality. A future reality. A great reality that is to come. But in many ways, that future is veiled from us. And we can't see it. It's as if it's behind a curtain. It's beyond the glass but we can't see it all the way. And so when we hear of this future reality, we're left to, to wonder and hope and think about what's out there, what is, what's coming next, and what is behind the curtain, what's on the other side. Well, today, as we look at chapter 31 of the story, we are going to look at the book of Revelation, a classic Mother's Day text to study. <laughs> I'm so glad for the opportunity. <laughs> no, really, I am. Uh, uh, the book of Revelation uh, can get uh, a bad rap sometimes of, uh, of how confusing it is, and certainly there is a lot of, uh, a lot of imagery, but what we're, what we're going to see today is really it is a book of hope, and it reveals something very, very special to us. So when we think about the book of Revelation we have, to, we have to understand that the Greek word that's used there for revelation is apocalypsis, or how we translate apocalypse, which means revealing something that is hidden. And today we get a glimpse of what is beyond on the other side of the glass, what's behind that curtain. We get a glimpse into the other side of history to see what God is up to behind the scenes and what he is going to be doing at the end of the story, and in order to see this, as we work our way through uh, the book of Revelation, now don't don't let that freak you out. We're just going to be looking at some very, very small uh, pieces of the book of Revelation. But you can go ahead and turn to Revelation chapter one. Uh, if you need to use the Bible in front of you in the rack, it's on page uh, twelve thirty six. And we're going to be taking a look uh, at Revelation, uh, and we are going to get a picture of that future hope. Have you ever gotten a book and flipped to the very end and read the last chapter? Anyone to see how it ends? Well, uh, my grandma would do that all the time, and I never understood it. But if that is you today and you're just joining us, uh, you get that opportunity uh, to read the last chapter, to hear about it, and then maybe decide if you want to go back and experience the whole thing. Uh, if you've been with us the entire time, though, uh, congratulations. This is it. We've reached, we've reached the end. 31 chapters of the story, 66 books of the Bible, you have read hundreds of pages. We did it. We made it. Are you ready to dive in for our last week in our series of story? Let's do it. Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants, what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John. Now, right there, we want to pause and think about what does this mean for the book of Revelation. This opening phrase can be translated two ways. It can be translated uh, a revelation from Jesus Christ or a revelation of Jesus Christ. 
And so we ask this question, is, it, is this about Jesus or is it, is it from Jesus? And the answer is, is that it is both. It is from Jesus. He is the one who speaks to John, who gives this imagery, who gives this picture of what is to come. But it is also about Jesus. This book tells us about who he is, about his character, and Jesus himself is the main character of this text. Although different things are in it, this book is not about dragons and beasts. It's not a book about dates and specifics about the end time. But it is about Jesus. And to understand the, the message of this book, we have, to, we have to understand the audience that it was written to. We have to understand its original audience. So going back to the book of Acts, what we saw there was that the early church was experiencing persecution. And it was kind of bad, if we're being honest, right? It was bad. They were being beaten, and they were imprisoned, and even being killed for their faith. This early persecution, and like I said, even though it was serious, it was random. It was sporadic. It happened in different places with different severity. But something interesting happens when we get to the year 64 AD. The persecution of the church moves from sporadic to systematic. You see, in order for a religion to be legal, it had to be deemed as such by the Roman Empire. And because the Roman Empire viewed Christianity as a subset or a sect of Judaism, and Judaism was legal, then Christianity was legal. But what happened is, is over time, they discovered that, in fact, it was its own separate religion and that it, even though there were, there were ties to Judaism, that it was not the same thing. And so it became illegal. And so that persecution became systematic in order to snuff out this illegal movement. And the key instigator in this persecution was the emperor Nero. And he was crazy. And not just crazy when it came to Christians, but history tells us this guy was just all sorts of messed up and trouble. He started a fire that burned much of Rome. And then wanting to save his reputation, his PR strategy became to blame this emerging group of Christians. He saw to it that Christians received terrible punishment for their faith. Christians were murdered. They were crucified. They were fed to lions. They were burned alive. And so that goes on and on. And by the time we get to, the, to around the time that the book of Revelation was written in the year 95 AD, Domitian now is the emperor, and persecution is well-established and widespread. So at this point, you can imagine that the Christians are rather discouraged. It looks like God is losing. It looks like the church is going to lose, that Rome is going to win this war, that the emperor is going to win, and Christianity itself will lose. You think about these disciples and especially the original disciples, their friends are gone. Individually, we can, they can look out and see that, that their brothers and sisters in Christ have been killed, been torn to pieces by animals, have experienced terrible death. And those original disciples, that original crew, 
have all been killed. They are all gone except for John, who is now an old man and has been sent to the island of Patmos to die in exile. And it is here that John, the lone survivor of the original disciples, gets a picture. He gets a vision. He gets a revelation from Jesus. And even though it looked like the church was losing, fortunately things are not always the way that they appear to be. And so John gets this picture from Jesus with the intention to give hope and to paint a picture of promise of who God is and what is to come. He has shown what is going on in heaven. He has shown what is going on on the other side of the glass. What is to come? What is beyond? And in order to do this, Jesus appears to his old friend in a very, very powerful way. And John describes the encounter this way in chapter 1, verse 17. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. And this brings us to our first point. The Jesus who died for us continues to fight for us. The Jesus who gave his life for us on the cross is not finished working on our behalf. Jesus says, do not be afraid. And why would he say that? Because the one who was dead, the one who died, Jesus, is no longer dead. He is alive now forever and ever, he says. Through Jesus' death and resurrection, he has brought victory over sin and victory over death. He has triumphed over those things by rising from the dead and offers eternal life to his followers. Because of Jesus' victory over death, it's saying that he holds the keys of death and Hades. Jesus has power over sin and death. And at this point in, in church history, Christians may have felt like Jesus had abandoned them, may have left them, but John reminds them that Jesus continues to fight for them and We can look at this and say that they're receiving this reminder. John is is getting this vision for them. But we can also be reminded of that as well. That the Jesus who died for us is alive. And he continues to fight for us. Jesus continues to pray for us. He continues to extend his eternal life to us. And he continues to extend and offer his power to us as well. The Jesus who died for us continues to fight for us. And the story, this picture that John is given continues. We're going to jump ahead to chapter 4. And in this we see as John is given a glimpse into heaven, he's given a chance to look beyond that glass, to look behind the curtain. You know what he sees? He sees something very special. Chapter 4, verse 1. After this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven, and the voice I had heard I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit and was there, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. John is given a glimpse into heaven and what he sees is a throne. And we have to remember that thrones symbolize power and dominion. 
And we have to understand here that this throne is the throne, that it rules over every other throne. Worship is happening all around it, that it's the focal point of the entire universe. And who is on that throne? But God himself. And he sees that throne, and he sees that God is sovereign, that he is in control, that he is in total control, and he has total victory. This is a promise to John, the audience that he writes to, and to us, that in spite of the persecution, despite the pain, despite, despite the hardship, God is ultimately on the throne. God ultimately reigns victorious. And although it looks like Rome is winning, or life is winning, and that the Roman government is in control, or our life circumstances are in control, ultimately this shows us that God is in control and that he sits on the throne. And we can take comfort in the fact that when it feels like we are losing, God is on the throne. I say again, when it feels like we are losing, we need to remember that God is on the throne. When it looks like the enemy is winning, when it looks like everything is spinning out of control, we need to remember that God is in charge and that God has the victory. Like I said, the book of Revelation gets a bad rap. Uh, Don't get me wrong. There is some very weird and powerful imagery that is in this book. But when we read this, we have to understand that it is intended as a book of hope. If you read the book of Revelation and you are anxious or you are fearful by what you are reading, I want to lovingly tell you that you are reading it incorrectly. The book of Revelation is meant to scare two people, Satan and Roman emperors. So if you're not in one of those two categories, you're doing all right, and you're going to be okay. And so for us, that, this book, when we, when we read these things, this should be a book of relief, It should be a book of comfort. It should be a book of hope. When it feels like we are losing, we need to remember that God is on the throne. And maybe you need that reminder today. Maybe you need that reminder because of what's going on with work or your lack of work. Or maybe you need that reminder because of your health. Or maybe you need that reminder because you're experiencing feelings of abandonment by a spouse or a parent or a child or a friend and a relationship is broken. Maybe, like me, you've recently lost a loved one and you need that reminder of this coming future, this promise that is on the other side of the glass. Maybe you're feeling like a failure, a failure at work, at home, or just in life. Maybe you need this reminder today that when it feels like we are losing, we need to be reminded that God, that God is on the throne and God is in control. John sees God sitting on his throne. And what he sees is God holding 
a scroll. And this scroll is God's plan for history, God's plan for the world. But this scroll is sealed, and it needs to be opened, but no one can open the seal. And so John weeps, and he he sings tears on my pillow, and he has a little pity party and a little moment, but then his tears are interrupted, and he is given hope. Revelation chapter 5, verse 4. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne. That word triumphed indicates total and complete victory once and for all. And Jesus, the lamb who was slain, has brought that victory. He is responsible for that victory. He has claimed that victory. And he is worthy to open that scroll and unlock God's plan for the world. And God's plan is to bring all of creation back into relationship with himself. He plans to redeem and restore us individually, collectively, and all of creation. And Jesus is his plan to accomplish that. Jesus claims the victory, and he will come again one day. And when he comes, he will come in judgment, and he will come and usher in that restoration of God and his people. And we see that when Jesus comes again, that our broken world will ultimately be restored. Jesus is coming to bring restoration, to bring healing. This world that is filled with sin and pain will ultimately be redeemed by the lion and the lamb, Jesus himself. And through him, God is recreating everything new again. He is making a new heaven and a new earth. And so we're jumping now from chapter 5 all the way towards the end, chapter 21. One of the most beautiful and powerful passages in all of Scripture that paint a picture of what is to come and what is beyond and what is this promise. Revelation chapter 21, verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. And here it is. Please pay attention to this. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. That is a beautiful, powerful promise. That is a beautiful and powerful promise that he is saying 
Everything is being made new. Everything is being made the way that it should have been, the way that it should be. This is where the story has been heading for 31 weeks. God's total and ultimate victory of a world completely restored. We get a very interesting bookend here. In the very first week of the story, in the very beginning of the Bible, we see that God created the heavens and the earth. And then here, the Bible concludes by saying that the, that earth and that, that heaven has passed away, and now there is a new heaven, and there is a new earth. It is emerging of the upper story and the lower story, the upper story being this, this big expanse of what God is doing over the, over the expanse of time and space and history and the lower story of how we experience those things on human levels. And not just is it a merging of, of those two stories becoming one story, but it comes with a beautiful promise that says, no more death, I will be with you. No more pain, I will be with you. No more mourning, I will be with you. No more crying, I will be with you. It says his, that he will wipe the tears from our cheeks. He is giving us a picture of what is to come. What is that future reality? What is on the other side of that glass? And he is extending, extending his hand to us to welcome us in to that reality. That same hand is wiping away the tears on our cheeks, drying our face. The same hands that gathered up handfuls of dirt and formed the mountains. The same hands that reached out of a manger 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem. The same hands that showed their wounds to a disciple in disbelief. That same hand is being extended to us in this vision, showing us this is what is going to come. This is the future hope that you have. This is what I have for you. He's saying, God will dwell with you just the way that it should have been, just the way that I wanted it with Adam and Eve. All the barriers are gone. All the barriers are gone. All the heartache, all the failure, all the loss. When we read that there's going to be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, that might touch a nerve for us today. And maybe you're in that place right now. Maybe you're in a place of pain. Or maybe you've been there for many days. And so you hear that there's going to be no more pain. Maybe you need to hear that as there's going to be no more Advil because you're not going to need it. There's going to be no more arthritis. There's no more disabilities, no more anxious waiting rooms, no more frustrating and confusing diagnoses because there's no more pain because God is restoring it and making it right. No more broken relationships, no more pink slips from the boss, no more uncomfortable, awkward dinners, no more death, no more tears over failure, no more tears over repeated sin or mistakes or addictions, no more empty-feeling holidays. Mother's Day, like we have said, is difficult for some. You miss your mom, you miss grandma, or it's just a tough day. The book of Revelation gives us hope. That not only will we possibly see those people again if they've put their faith in Jesus and we put our faith in Jesus, but that all things are being made new and being restored. Mother's Day is difficult 
because of a broken relationship, and we see that that will be restored. There's a barrier there, but that barrier will be gone. This book gives hope that God is removing all of those barriers between us and him, all the barriers between each other, and maybe even a barrier within us, some aspect that we are wrestling with. He is giving us that hope. Defeating sin and its impact on our relationships and our world is what God is promising us. This is going to happen when Jesus returns. The one who has conquered sin and death is bringing in this future reality, this reality that exists on the other side of this glass, even though we can't see it, even though we are currently here right now. He is saying this is what is beyond. This is what is coming This book of Revelation should inspire us. It should should inspire us to hope and it should inspire us to worship. And it, and it it leads us to our big idea this morning. Because of what is coming, I can live with hope right now. Because of what is coming, I can live with hope right now. Because this is the future that God has for us, we can live in victory, and in hope right now. And maybe you need that reminder today. Or maybe you just need that little boost of, oh yeah, man, that's awesome. Praise God. Praise God. The thing is, is that hardship and struggle has a way of narrowing our focus and bringing things so close to us that we cannot see anything else and we lose our perspective. We need to remember that the Roman Empire was transformed by peasants who believed in the hope of Jesus Christ. The kingdom of God triumphed over the kingdom of Rome. Hope has the power to transform. Hope has the power to overcome. And so whatever may be going on, however you may need hope today, in the midst of so much uncertainty What is certain is God's power and God's love and God's sovereignty. And even if you're in this life saying, it can't get any better than this, Matt, it can't. I would say, yes, it can. So much better. And I would say, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ and your hope is in him, and you have hope in eternal life, according to his promises, I would say this life is as bad as it gets. And what awaits us is so much more incredibly profound and beautiful and awesome. What awaits us? What awaits us on the other side of the glass is something that we can't even fathom, although we do get just a little glimpse of it from John today. So in a moment, uh, we're going to celebrate that fact together. Uh, Kathy and Jean are going to come back up and lead us in a time of celebration. Uh, but I want to give us just a moment, give you individually a moment to consider this in response. Where do you need hope today? Or maybe you need to just say, you need to praise God for the hope that you already have, the hope that you are living in daily, regularly. Or maybe you need to pause and, and actually express specifically, this is where I need hope today. This is where I need that reminder Whatever it might be, a health situation, a relationship, 
something in your family, or maybe even in you yourself. You need hope for your own personal salvation. Whatever that life situation may be, whatever that life situation may be, I want to encourage us that God has victory in hand. That it is sure. So now in this closing moment, ask yourself, where do you need hope? Where do you need that reminder? Or maybe how do you need to specifically praise God for the hope that you are already confident in?